From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting-edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome to The Dairy Show. I am your host, Lisa Benke. In April, we heard more about Tom Morris, World Dairy Expo's 2023 Industry Person of the Year. And in May, we learned more about our International Person of the Year, Bonnie Cooper. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Randy Cordes, who hails from beautiful Linden, Washington. Randy is the owner of Mainstream Holsteins, Jerseys, and Ayrshire's, and he is also World Dairy Expo's 2023 Dairyman of the Year. I marvel at how networked the dairy industry is, and it's not surprising that, Randy, you probably know this year's other two honorees. Yes, I do. Uh, I've known Tom for many years, and actually Tom did main event sales for us here at the farm in 95 and 97. And of course, since I live three miles from Canada, very aware of Bonnie Cooper and her accomplishments. Randy, Mainstream is such a noted herd for both type and production. And we're going to talk about the cows a little little bit later in this podcast that have made headlines. But first, tell us about you. Tell us about your start in the cow business. Well, I don't know. Uh, I guess when I was in 4-H my first year, I liked to show, but I wanted a purebred animal. So I convinced my dad to find a registered animal. And we finally found a breeder that was willing to sell and give me an opportunity. That person was Paul Ford then. Anyway, Paul is a great guy and I got started that way. Uh, Of course, my father had commercial cattle and so that was my start. And I would probably say that my second homebred animal went excellent. So that was a huge excitement for me. So who were your mentors early on? Your dad was focused on the commercial herd, so he wasn't probably coaching you in how to prepare an animal for showmanship and for show. Who was talking you through this? Neither neither was my mother. My father did work off the farm as electrician, refrigeration, that type of guy as well. So mostly it was self-taught, although, you know, certainly uh, people in this community, the Polanders of Ronnelly Farms, some of the others who were involved in the community calf sale here every year. But that probably didn't start until I received my driver's license so you could drive around. So most of that was kind of self-taught. As a kid, you just admired registered Holsteins, right? It was Holsteins that you started with? Right. And shows. And then through 4-H, I would say, and judging practice and things like that. You And, you know, I had early success. Uh, when I was 14, I won the state junior contest. And when I was 16, I won the state senior contest. And so those were things that spurred me and gave me that drive and excitement to become involved. In the meantime, you are now amassing a small herd of registered animals and your dad is allowing you to house them amidst the commercial animals. Is that true? Did you give them some preferential treatment or how did that go? Well, uh, not really, but one of the probably unique things as I started, I was still in high school and I believe it was 1974, but I had had five cows milking. My father was on owner sampler, but I convinced the local DHIA to test my herd. And so those cows had to be brought in before milking. We started on DHIA test all the way back in 1974. My herd was together, but I separated them at milking time. And that was the start of mainstream genetics. We started with the Cordis prefects. We just used our name as the Cordis prefects. 
1981, a small herd came up for sale, the Ray Terpstra herd, Lore Les. Many know Les Terpstra, and this was his father who was retiring. He wanted me to have his herd really bad, but his facilities weren't good enough, and he was very polite in telling me so. I wanted that herd really bad. That's another complete story because it was probably the most underrated herd around. You started with some good seed stock and with a sincere passion for registered animals, and not just registered animals, good registered animals. You got a trained eye as a judge. What was the next step? Did you wind up going to college to study business or or dairy science? What was your next step? Yes. When I graduated, I went to Skagit Community College, which is the next county down. It, It was known for its ag program. And when I went there, I also was fitting cows for sales. Met the Tennyson brothers. Dale Tennyson wanted to go on a long trip, so I was asked if I would work for them, milk for them, really, while I was going to community college. So I lived there, and that was a great opportunity because I I learned so much. One, John was a merchandiser and one of the best marketers there ever was, and Glenn Tennyson was probably the best caretaker of cattle that taught me so much in caring for cattle and and doing all the right things. So they were great mentors to me. Then I went to WSU and again, participated in a lot of a lot of programs there and graduated in 1980. And then this opportunity with the Terpster Herd came up. And so I knew I had to do something different. By associating with the Tennysons and working for a spell at Skagvale, you picked up some good tips on managing a herd of dairy cattle. And no doubt working with your father's herd You came into this new operation, your own operation, with a set of goals. At this point, did you rename yourself Mainstream at that point? Tell us about that. Right. Well, within a matter of a week, I got married, went on a honeymoon, and we started farming. And the opportunity was difficult at home, so we started. And I, you know, would like to say that interest rates were crazy high and you know, bankers didn't want to believe in me. So I had to look at different opportunities and When we started here, we knew that we had to do everything we could to make it. If I can say that, all the things you learned, all the things you read through trial and error, we did because it wasn't going to be easy. Well, if there's one thing that I think anybody can say about you, Randy, is you never have just one ball in the air. You just described what it was like to get married and all of these things were happening at once. I think your life has been that way throughout history. How did you meet? Let's back that wagon up and, and learn how you met Jana. We met at the Linden Fair, our local fair here, Northwest Washington Fair, and uh, actually they showed horned Herefords. And so we had a very good herd of Horned Herefords, although, you know, it was just a part-time thing because dad worked at another job and actually uh, met at the fair. I was headed to WSU and she already had been there for two years. She changed her major, which was beef production, and she was actually a meat grader. I guess showed me, which would made going to college easy, showed me everything that was there since I was new there. I was able to meet one of the finest cow people, I believe, around. I think that you and Jana built something very, very special, not just the mainstream herd, but you've got a tremendous family too. Tell us a little bit about the family that you and Jana raised. We've had five children. Our first son, Matt, moved to Oklahoma recently. Our second child was killed in a farm accident when she was two. And then I have a daughter who's an RN and Mark works at an oil refinery and my youngest is a CPA. 
but they also had tremendous talents with cattle, all uh, breeds of cattle, I should say, because we used to go to our local fair and we went to a lot of shows, but our local fair. And I remember one week we had 18 different shows to go to or to be a part of with 4-H, FFA, beef, cattle, uh, maybe sheep, maybe hogs, of course, market steer. Jana did hang on to her beef animals then too. You showed market steers. Market steers and we got those. Jana kind of, well, then kind of, she was the genetic guru of the Hereford herd or also crossbreeding and things like that. Yes, we were able to have great success with that. I think maybe more success, <laughs> even more success with beef cattle and steers than even dairy. But no, it was very good. And we were going to at least six shows as a, a summer. So yes, it was busy. And one of us uh, would always stay home and the other would probably go to Piala, which is uh, about 100 miles from here to go to a show. That was, I think, one of the parts of the successes. We didn't do a lot of it together. We took turns doing doing that. Well, it made for a powerful partnership. I want to back up to you said you got married, went on a honeymoon, came home, and you started mainstream genetics. <laughs> Tell us about that. Where did you start out? I mean, I know you had you had a, a nucleus herd that you had built. You bought the Terpster herd, um, and you moved to a new facility. So describe describe the new facility and the herd that arrived there. Well, the herd was about 30 cows that I was milking at my father's farm when I got out of school. And some of those were, you know, purchased along the way. And uh, then this Terpster herd came up for sale. And uh, so we bought those and then we moved all those here at that time. And so that was kind of the nucleus. And like I said, the most underrated herd was probably the Laura Less herd. I know Less had taken some of the 93 point peachums out of there but with that herd i was able to get the number one index cow in the state of washington that nobody really knew about at the time and that was an elevation daughter and there was a nugget in there and the nugget or less nugget hope and we ended up selling her to an investment group and she ended up having 60 offspring and she gave us four heifers before she left and so we ended up at, with that group having a picture at one time of six generations of all living on the farm, which went back to an excellent cow. And uh, so it was just a fantastic group, you know, that really nobody knew about. Every cow that we purchased from them that started milking increased production by 7,000 pounds in the next lactation or more. I'm glad you brought that up, Randy, because we can't talk about your herd without talking about production. When you get started... I have to believe you were chasing after type, or was your breeding philosophy more of a I want type and production? I would say I wanted both. I'm I'm a little selfish. I wanted both. We wanted good cows. And we wanted high production. And, you know, I think you can breed good cows and then you have to create good production. And we, we had to go through a lot of things. One of the things was people were going to TMRs. I couldn't afford a TMR. So you had to be creative. And, um, you know, I developed what I believe was one of the great supplemental grazing systems that could be could be developed by researching grasses, visiting with people from Australia, New Zealand. I know there was a kid here who was helping me with fencing, watering, and who I was able to hire. And he was just kind of working for another person. So I learned a lot of things like that. And, you know, many people didn't want to believe what we could do. Our cows were fed twice a day grain in the parlor and then go out and pasture. So it was called slug feeding 
which shouldn't work, was didn't have to work, but you have to learn things like buffering feeds and things like this and a lot of trial and error, but a lot of just observation from other people. I think that's what works so well for us. And we were able, I mean, I heard from everybody, other vets and they're going to burn them out. They're going to burn them out, but that never happened. And, you know, we had to do things. I think you continue to learn and, you know, there's certain things we were able to develop that work really well for us that now are becoming popular again. One of the things uh, that when we started, we didn't know what it was, but in two years' time, we had 24 sets of twins. And so I happened to talk to Dr. Roy Axe from the University of Arizona, who was one of the great reproductive people. And uh, we talked about this twinning and he said, you're getting the same effect as flushing with sheep. So convinced me to delay rebreeding cows back. A formula we developed back then was we left cows open for as many days as pounds they peaked. Now that ended up hurting us a little bit on the index system because we didn't follow protocol, but it's also something that made us a lot of profit. And by doing that, we also searched bulls that were persistent in lactation, and that would be Walkway Chief Mart. And, you know, at one time we had 29 of those milking and a herd of 60 cows. We had many marks or daughters out of marks, and that developed this great persistency of lactation, which allowed us to delay breeding. If you used other genetics, which I did, and those left pretty rapidly, you know, where they're called quarter horses. So they'd milk 100 pounds. The next test, they'd be 80 pounds. The next test, they'd be 40. They ended up leaving the herd. But that was a lot of our success in developing those type of things. You were the leader in peak milk before anybody else thought to make that a thing. I think it's amazing how many world record holders you have bred and managed, Randy. And I know I've seen pictures. Your animals are, are out on pasture in the shadow of Mount Baker, I don't think there's a prettier pasture on the planet than what your animals reside on. <laughs> but tell us about the breeding program there. You have this herd of Holsteins just rocking and rolling. And then you must have had a daughter that came along that thought that you needed a little bit of color in that herd. We did. And I think as our children are all competing. So we go to steer shows, they're competing against each other. So I think they also say, now if we got another breed, we would be able to not have to compete against Big Brother or things like that was how it all started. I had a use sale. My Well, it started before that. Carl Cragness, who was involved in Highlight Farms, which Tennyson was involved here, and Mike Deaver was actually a herdsman at Highlight Farms. Uh, they had some jerseys, and Carl had this really good jersey heifer, and my daughter had uh, ponytails and stuff like this and said, uh, we'd like you to show this heifer. And the heifer was junior champion, and Alyssa was so cute with it. And so anyway, that was kind of our start. And then just so happened there was an older gentleman who liked to hang around here. And he, with Melissa, said, there's four heifers advertised in the paper that are for sale, and let's go look at these. And so they went and looked at them, and they're $400 a piece. And it was just uh, kind of like the Terpster herd, you know, whether you want to call it luck, skill. But we were able to buy these four heifers, and out of those four heifers came three world records, I guess, and one of them still held in jerseys. And then, of course, Shelly was one of the cows who's the leading living lifetime, well, lifetime cow, but the highest lifetime cow that Jersey has. And that's, she made over 400000 here. And the theory behind that is everybody said that when she was just a phenomenal type of cow and actually had a son in AI, that was number seven. A lot of success there. Well, a lot of success with obviously males coming out of the herd because you have proved time and time again, not just with 
one breed, but with three breeds that you know how to stack the, the cards genetically, but then also you're providing an, an environment for those animals that allow them to just perform to their ability. And correct me if I'm wrong, Randy, but one of the photographs that you shared with us had, I think I counted 19. Did you really have 19 cows over 40,000 at one time in the herd. And that's probably standard fare for a, a herd that's noted for these world record holders. Yeah, most of those were chief marks at the time. But yes, there was 19 cows that we photographed one evening and with Mount Baker in the background. And uh, so we thought that was accomplishment. So just kind of wanted that picture. Yes, that was, that was uh, you know, a neat opportunity. But you talk about high production. And I think that there's, you know, several factors that play a role in that. And that is, I really believe in raising that calf and raising that heifer and keeping them healthy from the very beginning. And we did a lot of things. I think early, maybe before the people in that was developing vaccination program, using a veterinarian from SmithKline Beecham, and that was just part of it. But just our feeding program from the very beginning, we used a lot of probiotics uh, starting in 1988. And so all those things, I think, and you, you mentioned a little earlier, but our climate is probably the envy of the industry. You know, we don't know what humidity is. And a hot day is maybe 80 degrees, and we do have a little bit of cold here, but yes, there's rain, but our cows are inside then, and we were able to develop a, a great winter forage corn silage and great alfalfa hay to accomplish that. For those who haven't looked at their map of the United States and put a pin on Linden, Washington, you're not in Canada, but you can darn near see it from there, right? So it's a... Yes, you're, you're... we can see the... Canadian mountains, and we live about 10 miles from the Pacific Ocean, so it's pretty nice. So again, it is a, a lovely, lovely location, but I, another thing, we talk about the type in your herd, we talk about the production, but longevity, that's another thing that strikes me when I look at those cows. Boy, did you prove those veterinarians wrong in spades when they said, <laughs> you're going to burn them out, you're going to burn them out. Well, <laughs> When you get a cow that's, you know, 15, 16 years old and she's breeding back, you haven't burned her out. Right. And, and uh, you know, we were able to, and I don't know, I haven't followed this closely, but we were able to have 20 cows make 300,000 lifetime. And three of those were Jerseys. And we had two cows go over 400,000 lifetime, one a Jersey and one a Holstein. And, you know, you always won't predict that, which cows, you know, you're going to say this cow will do it. And it's not always the prettiest cow. One of our uglier cows, if I can say, did make 360,000 lifetime. You, you get attached to them. But that was also one of the things that the later cow index wanted, just a couple of lactations maybe, and to really move the genetics faster. But it was one of the things that you just do. Why sell a cow when she's milking great? Well, Randy, you definitely, with these type of herd credentials, got on the radar in the business. You probably had people from all over the country putting a pin on Lyndon, Washington. And I know that you've served on numerous boards and have traveled internationally. Can you tell us a little bit about your affiliations and where that's led, particularly the international travel? Well, I've been on the All West Board for 35 years, I believe, and uh, the Select Sire Board for 28 years, which I don't know of anybody who's done that longer. And there's so many things I'd like to say about that is it's not only you serving, but it's what you learn, what you learn about genetics, but it's also what I learned from fellow board members, one of them came over one time and said, if you did this and this and this, you could save 45 minutes of your milking time. 
and he was right. And uh, yeah, I was doing sales and stuff like this, and I kind of backed away from that. And then Mike Young, who was at the Holstein World, asked me if I would go on a trip to Japan with a bunch of people from the Holstein board. And then that trip suddenly got canceled. And then in 1996, he asked me if I'd be part of a team to go down to Guatemala and El Salvador as part of a team that would uh, evaluate the dairy industry down there. So that was my first basically international travel. Spent two weeks away from the farm, but it was fantastic. And then I spent two weeks in Peru, and now I've been to 28 countries, close to 60 trips now. So they've been fantastic. A lot of them were with USDA, but then through the Holstein Association. And then I've actually judged nine national shows, did judging conferences, and uh, yeah, it was all, you know, you love people, fantastic group of people. And I guess one quick little story. I've been to Ecuador uh, six times, judged one show four times. But when I first went there, there was no, there was one little native girl showing in the show. And otherwise, it's a big deal for the older, the owners of the farm to show. And so after the show, we had a meeting and I said, why not your kids? Through that, they actually got a grant from their president. On one of my trips down there, I took my son, who was probably 15 at the time. And anyway, they took care of him. They said, can you go to the dance with us and things like this? And the president actually came and gave him the grant at the time. So many of these kids that I knew ended up going to the University of Kentucky, getting a lot of training. And so when I went back there again, you now have kids showing rabbits and chickens and cattle and things like this. So it's one of the things I'm, you know, really, really proud of that do that and show that those type of things, I guess that give you a, you know, a sense of pride of saying that's what you can do. But I also think through the Holstein Association, we were able to went to Kenya and do seminars and how you can help them, you know, make their industry better and make them more profitable. Just Detect went with uh, Carlos Risco, a veterinarian who started all the herd health programs in California. I think he's now at the University of Florida. It was just neat opportunities that you, you can share some of the things you've learned. Did your 14-year-old self ever imagine that when you won that contest, you'd be sharing <laughs> that same type of skill with people all around the world? No, probably not. But you wanted, you know, you did want to judge, you know, shows and things like that. So actually, my daughter got to go to Spain when I, that's probably the best national show I judged. You know, that was a great opportunity for her. And my youngest son went to Japan to judge a show there. And my uh, middle son said, no, I really don't want to go internationally. But he went to World Dairy Expo. And I was part of a team that hosted the Brazilian classifiers. So at World Dairy Expo. So he did that twice uh, with me. And so that was a great experience that he wanted to do. I almost feel as if we could make you our international person of the year, Randy, with all that you've yeah. done in internationally to foster relationships. And, and I'm sure people, when they learn of the success that you've had with dairy cows across three breeds, they all have to wonder, how have you managed? And, and all of us that have ever bred cows know that you usually don't move the needle as far and as fast if you're selecting for multiple traits. And you said it from the get-go that you weren't going to settle for ugly cows. They're going to be good-looking cows that they're going to milk hard. And typically, God doesn't grant you both of those things in one package. But Again, you even proved God wrong on that one. You proved the best <laughs> wrong. You proved a lot of 
researchers gone throughout your your career with dairy cows you have selected a, a road that is your own and boy has it proven successful well thank you and and you know actually the last breed we got involved in was Ayrshires and probably had the most success with that herd and you know again it was one of those things finding the right genetics and then developing there's kind of a bet with a CMEX salesman friend of mine saying, is it feed or is it genetics? That type of thing. That's basically that whole development that I talked about. And then the other great cow that I guess I found out here was Westland Tom D. So the great one of the great Guernsey show cows of all times at World Dairy Expo. So we should say you're force suited because yes, if we count Tom D, <laughs> one of the most famous Guernseys of the breed, um, you have had remarkable success. And in all of these years of showing cattle and achieving world record production, have you shown cattle at World Dairy Expo besides your son being there? Just Tom D. We have not taken cattle for that that long trip. I used to be responsible and showed at the Western National in Fresno, California. That is also a very is, long trip. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But we would take a state herd from there, and I've uh, showed heifers and cows as part of the state herd there. So did that for quite a few years as well. Earlier, you made mention that it's hard to let those good ones go, especially when they're cranking like that. Mainstream. Mainstream is now dispersed to several different herds. Is that true? That's true. Really hard to do. But in 2016, my wife passed away from ovarian cancer. And so I was going to continue, which I did. And then an opportunity came about where we could sell our milk production history from our milk co-op. And that probably was an opportunity of about $1,200 a cow above the selling price of the cow. So being my youngest son's a CPA said, dad, you have to take care of this opportunity. And so we were able to do that. Went through a lot of struggles because I didn't have the energy to put on a sale. So what are we going to do? Also the market out in Washington, bordered by a ocean and a little bit of difficulty getting cattle across the border at the time. So we decided to sell them privately. Some went to California, which are now at Arizona Dairy. Some went to Oregon. Those were the Holsteins. A guy really interested in the Holsteins here suddenly bought my Jersey herd and they wanted everything. I um, mean, you know, every milking cow without a kick out. And so those went up to BC, not far from me. And they are now the number 10 genomic herd in Canada. And the Ayrshires went to Idaho to a very good herd and having great success there. Although I have ownership yet of about 10 head in Wisconsin in partnership with the Ott. And we'll be excited to see how those animals continue to perform with your magic touch. But I, Randy, I got to <laughs> just say the, the Terpstras must be looking at this and feeling like history has repeated itself because all I can think is this this mainstream well let's let's call it three herds your Ayrshires, your Holsteins and your Jersey herds have gone on to populate somebody else's barn and they are performing as they did in your barn just fabulously and that's got to be a, a reward unto itself right you know and and some people like I said some people say well Randy my cow could make this much at Randy's place and things like this well you have that opportunity but they have performed very, very, very well, and I'm really, really proud and happy for them that that has all happened. I mean, that's what we bred cows for, right? So they would perform well. And, you know, I think that showed through 
the bulls that we put in in AI, especially mainstream manifold, who I think is number six all time semen high seller. And even though he wasn't a high, really high type, he was more my type cavities and all the other things that work so well. And he didn't throw twins. <laughs> I solved the twin problem. <laughs> it, it was my solution. So I love that you, you consulted other people in the business. Dr. Axe, I'm sure love to take on a project like that and help <laughs> you get to the, the root of it. But it seems like that's been in your DNA too, to always cooperate with different people that have, have helped you move the dime forward. And oh my goodness, Randy, congratulations on all the successes you've realized. And I wanted to just mention too, again, all of us, all of us in the Holstein business, all of us in the dairy business, obviously are sympathetic to, to what a hardship that was to, to lose Jana. But we were talking about her the other day and you said she had a crazy, crazy skill. And I just thought that's a fun thing to share because I was marveling at that the woman could do this. But would you tell everyone else listening right now, what was, was Jana's strange gift? Well, first of all, it was hard work. And just to you know say one of the things, she would take a milking off to have a baby. And she'd come back to the barn. So that was that would be number one. Uh, number two is she had kind of had a photographic, well, she didn't kind of, she had a photographic mind and she knew every birth date of every animal on the farm. And if we showed animals at a show, she would memorize or had memorized the registration numbers. In some ways, it was such a help to me, but in some ways, it was a big crutch because I would always have to look at her and say, when was that heifer born? Just because she had that uncanny ability. And, and certainly, she would deserve most of the credit here. And especially, you know, with her kids showing and stuff like this, she took the time and the patience. And our kids probably won more fitting and showing contests than anybody, and especially round robin which is all breeds, uh, not all breeds, but all species. She was just had a talent to do that. And I guess she was a 4-H leader, you know, for 20 years and was good at it. Uh, Randy, you've picked your partners wisely through life. <laughs> I'm sure the tennis are <laughs> smiling. I know that Jan is smiling. Your kids have been such a part of mainstream and it sounds like while well, you've all got diverse interests, what a team you made and, and what a herd you built at, at mainstream. So we congratulate you, Randy. You truly deserve to be named the Dairyman of the Year at World Dairy Expo and we can't wait to honor you this year at World Dairy Expo. Well, thank you very much. It is a huge honor and, and certainly uh, proud for me to you know get that award. Thank you. Well, I would expect that the, the number of internationals that would wish to be there to wish you well will be extensive, as well as all of them from the United States and Canada. But Randy, again, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to honoring you as Dairyman of the Year alongside Tom Morris, the Industry Person of the Year, and Bonnie Cooper, our International Person of the Year on October 4th at World Dairy. Expo's Recognition Award Banquet, and that will take place in the Tanbark. And I think that building on the campus is where the very first World Dairy Expo cattle shows took place. I can't think of a more fitting venue for this auspicious crowd that's going to gather. So anyone listening, tickets will be available starting July 1 at www.worlddairyexpo.com. Randy, we look forward to seeing you there. And I'm sure people are going to be lining up to ask you questions about how do I achieve such tremendous type, longevity, and production out of my cow. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. We'll see you in October.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 